Thank you, worship team and choir this morning. I'm Rob. Welcome this morning. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's great to, great to have you with us. Um, last week, we talked about Advent resources for families, and today I want to talk to you about an Advent resource uh, that we have for, for you today. And uh, Pastor John has put together an Advent blog, um, just some reflections on Scripture to help guide you through this busy season. And Christmas is a busy season. There's a lot going on. And no doubt your schedule is getting more and more full as we get closer to Christmas. And so Pastor John has written um, some fantastic blogs that we hope you will take home and just spend some time reading and reflecting on them. And that's the purpose of these blogs, to kind of center us as we move through this busy Christmas season. Um, and I'll say this publicly, you know, I think John is just, he's an exceptional writer. He's incredibly thoughtful, um, and he's got some great reflections for you, and I hope that you'll pick them up and take some time. They're at the Welcome Center if you want a paper copy. If you're looking for a digital, they're on our church website or on our church Facebook page. But carve out some time over the holidays. Sit down, brew a cup of tea or coffee, and just get some in a quiet space and spend some time with the Lord and allow Him just to speak to you and to minister to you uh, during this Advent season. So those are available for you, and I would encourage you uh, to take note of those. Um, we are in an Advent teaching season on the I Am Statements of Jesus. And last week, I started my message talking about this. Some of you will remember this as a kid. And then uh, I had a picture of it up on the screen. And then Sunday night at the musical, a very kind person brought me one. They had one in their closet, um, which has been fantastic. And so this week, I'm going to start my message talking about this. If we could... Uh... And I'll be here between 6 and 8 tonight if you'd uh, <laughs> like to drop that by. So. Uh, it's Christmas and it's a wonderful time of year. There's so much nostalgia uh, at this time of year. There's traditions, uh, there's music, uh, people are decorating homes, there's food. And um, our first significant snowfall last night and, and it's, an exciting, it's an exciting time of year. Uh, Christmas can also be a difficult time of year for people. Um, maybe it's the first time, first Christmas maybe where the family's been separated. Uh, maybe there's been a loss of a job in the last few weeks that makes this season difficult. And um, regardless of the situation that you find yourself in, Christmas kind of acts like a spotlight onto our life. And it shines a light on our life and it kind of accentuates or um, amplifies how things are going. If things are good, then Christmas kind of feels extra good. And if things are difficult or challenging, uh, then Christmas can feel a little bit difficult and challenging too. And we're going to talk about light today. And we're going through the I am statements of Jesus. Throughout Jesus' teachings, uh, he would refer to himself and say, I am. And then he would use a metaphor from an everyday object of life to kind of illustrate for us who he is and why he has come. We talked last week that he said he is the bread of life. And just in the same way that um, there are barley loaves for you to eat that will nourish your physical body, so Jesus says, I have come to nourish and to satisfy your spiritual life. But he didn't just talk about bread. He talked about light, as we'll talk about today, doors, roads, grapevines, all of these objects from everyday life as a gateway for you and I to discover Jesus um, to be greater than what we thought he was. And if you're not a Christian here today, or you're, someone dragged you here, or maybe you're kind of trying to figure faith out and you're not quite sure where you stand, then hopefully this series will be helpful to you because you have some assumptions about what Jesus is like, 
or what God is like, or what faith is like. And my hope is that as we go through these, this will kind of shed some light on who Jesus really is for you. And even if you grew up in the church and you've been a Christian for, for many, many years, then hopefully this will help bring some fresh light and life to your faith as we go through this season. But I'll admit to you, as we'll see from our, our passage this morning, if you are like me and you grew up in faith, then it's harder for us to grow and to learn. But the metaphor we're going to look at today is Jesus coming is the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. And for us, in order to appreciate the power of this metaphor, you need to remember we're talking about a time before electricity, before flashlight apps on your phone, before um, any means of generating light outside of the sun and fire. The only two ways that you could have light were the sun and the fire. So light was a valuable, valuable commodity for these people. Light is throughout the scriptures. The very first chapter of Genesis, God said, let there be light. The very last chapter of the Bible, in Revelation chapter 2, there's this metaphor of light, that in heaven, there will be no need for a sun because Christ will be there and he will be so radiant that he will provide all the light that's necessary. But for most of the Jewish people, the main illustration of light comes from their time in the wilderness. As the Jewish people wandered throughout the wilderness trying to find their way to the promised land, the Lord guided them at night by light. And this image of God guiding people in the wilderness by light just kind of found its way into the Jewish people's heart and imagination and just kind of became such a popular image that they kept coming back to again and again and again. In fact, the whole Feast of Tabernacles, which we read about in the scripture, uh, which marked the Jewish people's pilgrimage through the wilderness, there was a part in that festival where they would come and they would have huge torches of light that would light up the entire synagogue area at nighttime. And they would put on these torches and light up the entire synagogue, and the people would gather together, and they would dance and party all night long, and eat and have music. And it was just an incredible time of celebration, remembering that God had led us in a dark season, and he'd led us into the promised land. So light is this image that appears throughout the time of Jesus and throughout the time of Scripture. And in this passage that we're going to look at today, they believe took place somewhere around the Feast of Tabernacles. But when we talk about light, there's uh, another side to this that we have to be aware of. Because when God speaks about coming to us as light, he's, it's implying something. And it's implying that we're living in darkness. It's implying that we're lost. In fact, probably one of the most popular Advent scriptures comes from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, which says this. People walking in darkness have seen a great, seen a great light. The implication is that you and I are living in darkness. And let's just be honest. It's hard to say that today to people without becoming offensive. You know, old Johnson in accounting, you know, he's living in darkness. You know, he doesn't have a sweet clue what he's doing, right? You're going to get written up for that. But we live in a day. Think about the darkness that's in our world today. Just think about what you see in the run of a week that comes through news. And think about the fact that things just aren't getting better. Think about the darkness and the brokenness in our culture today and the lostness that just kind of is so pervasive. And it's into this darkness that the scripture speaks comes Jesus claiming to be the light of the world. So I'm going to get you to turn with me today in John chapter 9. Uh, if you have your phone, you can look it up. If you're using the red Bible in the seat in front of you, it's on page 1664. And we're going to read through this. It's a, it's a long passage, but we're not going to read all of it. I'll kind of summarize some of it for you. John chapter 9, starting at verse 1. 
And as we go through this story, I've got homework for you. I want you to think about, I want you to find how many blind people there are in this passage. How many blind people are there in this story? So we'll start reading John chapter 9, verse 1. And as he went along, Jesus, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi or teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? It was common in, in the ancient world in particular, in the Jewish culture, to think that if a child was born with a birth defect or with some kind of physical um, impediment, that somebody had sinned in order to cause that. So maybe mom and dad had sinned, maybe they were angry, maybe they cursed God, they had done something, and the cause was that this, and it caused in this their own child some kind of infirmament or infirmity. And Jesus answers their question, but not in a way that they want. In verse 3, he says this, neither Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. That's key. We're going to come back to that later. What Jesus is not saying here is that Jesus causes sickness in people so that he can come by with his healing power and show it off. That's not what he's saying here. What he's saying here is you're asking the wrong questions. Why are you worried about who's to blame for this man's blindness? The thing you should be concerned about or the question you should be asking is, can God display his glory in this man's life? Verse 4, Jesus says, as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. He's saying there's a time restraint here. I'm with you in this moment with this blind man and you're worried about who's to blame? What you should be worried about is, Jesus, can you display the glory of God in this man's life? To which Jesus then says, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he said, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So the man went, washed, and came home seeing. Now, I don't care how spiritual you are or what your view of Scripture is. If you are a blind person and you cannot see and you're standing here and a group of religious people come by and they start talking about you, hey, what's wrong with this guy and whose fault is it? And Jesus gives them an answer and they're talking about that and then you hear somebody clear their throat and they spit into the ground and you can hear them messing around on the ground with it and then they stand up and they start putting it on your face. It's awkward. Is that fair to say? So this guy is now in this situation where Jesus then gives him the instruction and says, I want you to go wash in the pool. Note that the mud doesn't heal Jesus. The man's faith in Jesus' command heals him. He believes Jesus. He goes and he washes in the pool, and that's when he is able to see. His faith healed him. But then the story goes sideways. What must have been the most glorious moment for this man, the very first time in his life that he could open his eyes and see the temple and see the people and the sights and the colors, and it goes sideways because Jesus' healing in this man's life creates a problem. In verses 8 and 9 here, it's kind of in my simple brain. It's a little bit funny. Uh, his neighbors come to him, and they're kind of like, He's seeing. Isn't this the guy that we know who would beg all the time? Don't we recognize him? And some people said, yeah, that's him. And other people said, no, 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 that's not him. And he kind of is standing there. And you'll see it at the end of verse 9. He says, no, it's me. Like, I'm, I'm right here in front of you. You're talking about me like I don't exist. I'm right here. I am the man. And then it gets worse. 
because the religious people come to this man and they can't figure out how it is that he was healed. It doesn't fit in their box. And so they start questioning him and saying, who was it that did this? And his only response, all he knows about the person who healed him is that he was a man. So they pester him a little bit more. And he says, well, he means a prophet. They're not satisfied with that, so they make him go, and his parents are brought, and they ask his parents, is this your boy? Was he born blind from birth? What's going on here in this situation? And his parents are nervous about their response because they have a standing in the religious community. They don't want to get on the outs with these Pharisees, and so they kind of say, well, ask him. He's old enough to tell you what happened. So they do. They come back to him a third time, and they say to him, What is it that happened, and who was it that healed you? Now, imagine this guy for a second. You're standing here blind. You're you're sitting begging. Some religious people come along. They start talking about whose fault is it that this man's blind? Who do we have to blame? Someone spits in their room, puts it on your face. You go over wash. You come back. The religious people come on in. Your neighbors come on in. They drag your parents in. At this point, he's frustrated. And he makes a statement to the religious people, and he says, I've told you all that I know. What is it with you guys? Do you want to become Jesus' disciples? And it's the straw that breaks the camel's back. And they are furious with him. And it says they started to yell at him. They accused him of being steeped in sin since birth, which for a religious person is the most vicious insult you can give. It implies he is a problem, but it also implies both of his parents are at fault here as well. And it says they kicked him out of the temple. This is not just kicked out for today. This is you're done around here. You're not part of our community anymore. You've been excluded from our family. How many blind people did you see in this story? There's a number of them. The disciples are blind from the very beginning. They're asking all the wrong questions. When they see somebody with a problem, their immediate question was who's to blame? And Jesus straightens them out. The neighbors are blind. Is this the guy that we've known all this time, or is he somebody else? His own parents are blinded by their fear of being excommunicated from this religious community that they don't even answer the question. And the religious people in this story are stubbornly blind. Everyone in this story is blind. I think the reason that Jesus tells us this story, and one of the things that he wants for us to see as we go through it, is not just that Jesus gave physical sight to a man who was physically blind but he wants to give spiritual sight to everybody who is spiritually blind. And when we talk about spiritual blindness, it's easier to see in other people's life, and it's much more fun to talk about, so let's start talking about other people first. You know that person who's got that attitude issue, and it's just ruining um, their world, and everybody sees it but them? You know that person? You know that person who lives at such a pace that it's creating unrest in their home and everybody else knows about it and talks about it, but they're completely blind to it? You know that coworker that you work with who is so selfish and it's so obvious and they're the only one that doesn't know it? We can be blind to things, can't we? And all of those people that we've just talked about, they could come up here and talk about us, couldn't they? And talk about the ways in which we are blind to things in our life. We all suffer from blindness on one level or another. And Jesus walks into this and says, I am the light of the world. And when he talks about light, he's talking about bringing clarity. 
He's bringing clarity to people's lives. He's showing them things that they cannot see but need to know in order to be spiritually whole. And when Christ walked into a room, he brought clarity to things. When we see how he lived and how he treated people, his priorities, the stories he taught, he brought clarity. And let's be honest, not everyone appreciated Jesus bringing clarity into their life. When they got around Jesus and they saw his way in his life and it was like a light shining on their own way and their own life, it revealed the poverty of soul, it revealed their blindness to certain things, it revealed their sin, it revealed their idols, it revealed their brokenness. And not everybody was all that happy to see it. In fact, if you go back to John chapter 3, Jesus says some people will love darkness rather than light. They'll prefer to be blind instead of being able to see. Because when Jesus shines his light, we all start to see ourselves a little bit differently, don't we? Maybe we could say it this way. Uh, Maybe in school, you're the smartest kid in your class. And you kind of think of yourself that way. And then a new student comes to your class, and they're operating at a whole other level. And you suddenly realize you're not the best. And you see yourself differently. Or maybe you think you're patient. And then you meet someone who has like a PhD in patience, and you realize you are not patient at all. Or, ladies, maybe you thought your husband was good looking, and then you went to your company Christmas party and you realized maybe not so much. (laughs) When Jesus walks into people's lives and shines his light, everyone sees things differently. And he reveals to us our blindness. And the same thing will happen. The more and more we get around Jesus, the more and more we open our hearts to him and allow his light to be shined into our lives, we will start to see more and more things in our life that he wants to bring attention to, that he wants to transform. But here's the good news today. Jesus does not come to be the blindness police. He does not just come to shine his light on us and show us what's wrong with us. In fact, he gives us a hint at the very beginning of this story in in verse 2. It says this, when they're asked about what's wrong with this guy and who's to blame, Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in him. When we have that moment where Christ shines his light into our lives and we see what's really in us, and we see us for who we really are, that isn't the end of the story. We then realize that Christ has shone his light in our lives to show us these things so that his glory could be displayed as he redeems and heals and puts us back together. For the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. So we aren't afraid of this Christ who comes and claims to be the light. We aren't afraid to let him shine his light into our lives, to show us things, to reveal things, to bring things to the surface, because his hope is to take that and that his glory might be revealed as he heals and renews and puts back together. There's a part of the story and how it ends. I kind of left it, the guy getting kicked out. But you need to know that when Jesus heard he got kicked out, he went and found him. That's the story of Advent. God comes and finds us. This story is not about the faith of this man who held on. This is the story of Jesus who never gave up on this man, and he came and found him and restored his faith. And our hope for you this holiday season is that you would have that experience, 
that as Christ shines his light in your life, you would start to believe and dream again about how God's glory could be restored and revealed in you as he puts you back together. And that would be our Advent hope. Let me pray for you. Lord, today we, we pray that we would not resist in any way you shining your light into our lives. We pray that it would bring great hope and promise to us as we dream and think about what it might mean for you to display your glory even through our brokenness. And we give you thanks today that you come looking for us. So no matter maybe how far we've strayed, no matter how far we've gone, no matter how impossible it seems that you would come, Lord, we remember your great affection and your great love for us. And we give you thanks for it this morning. Amen.